supersedes truth when facts are the enemy in a time where even Orwell would look at things and shake his head in disbelief in a time when it takes backbone to stand up to the slings and arrows of outrageous deception thank all that's holy you have a voice TNN the truth news network and Dan Newman a voice in the wilderness that's what we find ourselves to be fairly often here I'm sure you feel the same way Hello, everybody, and welcome to Friday's edition of TNN Live. It's hard to believe, but the month of August is just almost over. I mean, we have next week. We don't even have next week. Let's see, we've got 27, 28, 29, 30, 30. We've got five days left in the month of August after today. And then we'll be, not technically, but everybody, I'm one of them, thinks that September begins fall. Back to school's already happened across the nation. Things and people are trying to settle in and get established. You know, one of the worst things we're dealing with today is we don't know on what to base the decisions we make about what we do. I mean, I remember a day when it was just automatic. September comes around, we got football. That's pretty much that in school pretty much kept us busy for the fall. And then we get into the winter, we have the holidays, we have Thanksgiving, we have Christmas, we have January 1st, New Year's. Those are the big things that used to be the things we concentrated on. And then you turn the calendar page and you're getting close to spring. Spring means things like Easter, things like graduation. And then we get into summer, oh my gosh, vacations. We get to go to the beach or go to the mountains or go see relatives. We used to live a fairly simple life, at least when I was growing up. And every year it just got more and more complicated. And all those things on which we could make decisions that were just automatic, we knew they were right. We knew they were good. We question everything now. We question everybody now. Oh my gosh, I would love to live in a world where when I looked at you and you told me something, I didn't have to think. What does she really mean? What is he actually saying? Does he know what he's talking about? How does that apply to me? And if you don't feel those things today, you need to be really, really careful. I'm not saying you need to worry about everything. What I'm saying is you need to vet everything. You need to listen. You need to listen and hear. And there's a big difference between the two. Listening is just letting something come into your mind. Hearing is taking that and developing into what it really means to you. The Bible talks that a lot. Hearing is different from listening. So, you got all that for free today. Matter of fact, you get everything for free every day here at TNN Live. What do we have today? What are we going to look at today? Economic numbers came out yesterday. Everybody's out there trying to brand those numbers with their perspective, political perspective, rather than just give us the facts and let us interpret those. Gross domestic product for the second quarter. It saw the American economy contract at a slightly slower pace than was previously reported, 
but the data shows that it still remains in a technical recession. Nobody in this White House, nobody in the government on the left side of the aisle will even use the R word talking about our economic situation. But our GDP did shrink by 0.6% in the second quarter. That's below the initially reported 0.9%, but it still puts us technically in two consecutive quarters of GDP, gross domestic product, going down for decades. That means we're in a recession. You know what the conundrum in all of this messaging around this is to me? Wouldn't it be smarter for our president, for the economies, uh, economist in his administration, to just step forward and say, look, folks, we're having a problem. We've got recession here, and we need to get together and come up with the ideas to get us out of that. We don't hear that. It's almost like when we were kids, when something bad was going on, we just felt like if we don't talk about it, it's like it's not there. It's there. We need to talk about it, and we need to speak about it honestly. So there's the economic matter of the day. We're not going to talk about economic issues one more time in the day, today's show. You get it every time you go to the gas station, you go to the grocery store, and you're getting that when you go to the grocery store. Sometimes you can't get what you want. I noticed that this week in Kroger. You would think a major national chain like Kroger would have figured out a way to make sure their shelves are full of the things that consumers around the nation want. But even these big box stores like Kroger's and Walmart, Sam's Club, they're all fighting because we've got supply chain issues. Those issues that the former White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki told us they'd been working on in the Biden administration even before it was technically a Biden administration, before even the inauguration of Joe Biden. She failed to give us what the plan was they came up with. And you know why? They didn't come up with a plan. They never put anything in the road to get it fixed. And here we are. She was talking about in January of 2021 in preparation for the inauguration. Here we are. We're past January of 2022. We're approaching January of 2023. It's just around the corner. No plan. Still got a supply chain issue. And we've got COVID-19 stuff in the air today. Big news about uh, Mark Zuckerberg. Zucker's kind of been behind the scenes. Haven't seen him out there front and center of late. Well, he came out yesterday on the Joe Rogan show. You're not going to believe what he said in that interview. And of course, we're all waiting breathlessly for the release of that uh, affidavit that was the foundation that was presented by the Department of Justice to that federal judge down in Florida who okayed the raid at Mar-a-Lago a couple of weeks ago. Got big news there. Looking ahead before we dig in today, looking ahead, don't forget, we got a weekend ahead. 
That means our Saturday bullet points, our most read feature of the week every week. On Saturday morning when you get up, you can go to the table, grab a cup of coffee. You don't have to grab the newspaper. Just go to your computer or your uh, phone and just go to truthnewsnet.org. Go to the home page, and our Saturday bullet points are there. Those are the stories that we capture, the big ones of this week that you may have missed, and it gives you a chance to grab all the details, even if you heard the highlights. You can read these bullet points if there's a story, and you read a couple of sentences of the explanation of what is in the story, and you want more, you just click on a little blue arrow button at the end of those two or three sentences in in, uh, descriptive fashion, and it will take you to a full story with all the details. If you read the headline, you've already seen it, you know about it, just go down to the next one. It's a good way to catch up on the weekend without having to spend a lot of time. And then next week, don't forget, we're back in the saddle, TNN Live, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Central Time. And, of course, anytime you miss a show, and these are two-hour shows, I get it. Very few people have the luxury of being able to sit down for two hours straight every day and just uh, concentrate on any one thing. You've got work. You've got busy things in your life outside of home, in the home, You don't have time for it. So you can go to any source where you get your podcast. And I'm talking about all the big ones. Um, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Google, of course, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, and others are picking it up every, every week. We get reports that we've been picked up from this source. You just go there and you can get any one of the shows that we've done in two years. TNN Live. It's all you have to do in the search bar to take us right to the front of our show and the very stories that pop up at the top when you get to that homepage of the most recent shows. So we got all that stuff out of the way. So what are we going to dig into today? Let's talk for a second about our COVID-19 and all of the other issues around it. By the way, did you know Oh my gosh, we're still in an emergency, a national emergency over COVID-19. Well, we're really not. Well, we really are, Dan, because the White House hasn't announced that it's over. So we're really in it. And you know why we're still in it? There's one reason, one reason only why we're still in it. Not because we've got thousands, tens of thousands of new cases every day and hospitals flooded with COVID patients. That would be what a real emergency is. The emergency we're in now, we're still in it for one reason and one reason only. There are powers that any U.S. president has access to if and when we're in a declared national emergency. One of those would happen to be the student death forgiveness. We're going to get into the student death forgiveness. Uh, death. <laughs> I said student death. Student debt forgiveness. We're going to get into that in just a few minutes. I just wanted to point out we're really not in an emergency situation, even though legally and technically we are. Just wanted to point that thing out. We're getting better and better in the nation 
at uh, reducing the number of COVID cases. And then when those people get ill, we're reducing the number of serious illnesses and deaths. That's a good thing. What's around the corner? What are we going to have in the fall and winter in the way of infectious diseases? I don't want to be a a conspiracy theorist, but I will tell you this. Pretty much depends on what our government, what our government wants to tell us to scare us into submission, like they have numerous times during the real COVID-19 national emergency. Got some news about that wonderful Paxlovid COVID pill, Pfizer's big big pill offering to take care of COVID-19. Well, doesn't look good for Pfizer on that front. A new study has found out that their COVID-19 oral antiviral pill Paxlovid, it appears to provide little or no benefit for younger adults. Now, we didn't get this out of the United States. You know, all those research laboratories we have at all those major universities that we, the people, through our federal government, give grants that... I mean, we give away tens of millions of dollars for them to study this stuff. Maybe they didn't study it. Maybe they found out what was going on in Israel and what Israel found out in a study about the Pfizer Paxlovid COVID pill. I don't know. But Israel's the one that gave us this information. And this study, by the way, Israeli study, was published in the New England Journal of Medicine couple of days ago on Wednesday. In the study, over 109,000 patients between January 9th and March 31 of this year were examined regarding their usage of Paxlovid. During the study, the Omicron variant was the dominant strain in Israel. Patients in that study were separated into a group with acquired previous immunity because of vaccinations or being infected previously, and another group with no previous immunity defined as being unvaccinated or vaccinated with only one mRNA vaccine dose and having no previous documented COVID-19 infection. So, Pfizer's Paxlovid pill, haven't heard much about it. They haven't been touting it like they did these vaccines. It consists of two different antiviral drugs, Norma Trevel-er and Retin Aver. Hard to pronounce these words. It is taken twice a day for five days and is best within five days of symptoms onset. The pill is currently authorized for conditional or even emergency use in more than 60 countries to treat COVID patients who are at high risk of getting very sick due to the conditions, the comorbidity issues like obesity, diabetes, and heart disease. Among those 109,000-plus patients in the study, 3,900 of them, 4%, received at least one dose of one of those drugs, including 2,484 of 42,000 patients who were 65 years of age or older and deemed high-risk, 1,400 of 66,000, 2%, who are 40 to 64 years of age. Now, you got to follow this. Among the 42,000 who were 65 or older, hospitalization because of COVID occurred in 11 treated patients. That's 14.7 cases 
per 100,000 and in 766 untreated patients or 58.9 cases per 100,000 persons per day. Meanwhile, among patients 65 or older, death due to COVID occurred in only two of 2,500 treated patients and in 158 of 40,000 untreated patients. Now, what does this mean? People between the ages of 40 and 64 who are at high risk saw no measurable benefit. That's according to the analysis of medical records of these all of these patients, 109,000. Among the 66,000 treated who were 40 to 64 years of age, hospitalization because of COVID occurred in only seven treated patients and in 327 untreated patients, which is not a very significant difference. Among those patients, death due to COVID occurred in only one of 1,400 treated patients and in 16 of 65,000 untreated patients. The patients were given the drug shortly after their infection. Paxlovid has become CDC's recommended outpatient treatment for COVID and President Biden's administration has spent more than, you know, $10 billion purchasing the drug and making it available at thousands of pharmacies across the country through its test-to-treat initiative. All those numbers that I gave you, the only numbers that really matter is the last number I gave you. Paxlovid doesn't work, okay? It doesn't work. But our president spent $10 billion purchasing the drug and getting it available at thousands of pharmacies across the country. No mention of this in mainstream media. None whatsoever. So let's get this straight. This year, 2022, in addition to this $10 billion, our president has spent a trillion more dollars. Wow, $700 billion of that on his infamous Inflation Reduction Act that is full of, you can't call it anything else, but giveaway pork, full of it, special interest, all those kinds of things. It's not going to reduce our inflation. It's not going to reduce our inflation. And then on top of that, we have the announcement on Wednesday of this week, he's going to cancel $300 billion of student debt. Oh my gosh, he's going to help all these people, these students. You know, these ones that graduated from high school and they had this brilliant future in front of them. If only they could get that degree or only couldn't get that secondary degree, couldn't get that doctorate. But when they got it, oh, they're going to be way up there and be able to pay all those student loans back. Far too many cases, those people never reach those goals and hanging over their heads because they made the decision to borrow money to go for that secondary education. Nobody made them. Nobody pushed them to do it. Maybe mom and dad, but I'm talking about in the government. Nobody forced them to. They signed the obligation. They got all the money. 
And so who's left out of this? Well, everybody else. Well, who's in everybody else? Everybody else is people that, you know, went to work, maybe worked two part-time jobs. They struggled. They went through hardship. But they wanted that degree, and they wanted it to come and not buy a free ride. They may have gotten, you know, a grant here and there, maybe a partial scholarship, but they just worked their butts off to pay for their tuition, room, and board. And then you have these other people, many of these other people, a big number. They won't give us the big number, but you and I both know because of human nature, a big number of these people that find themselves not in college, find themselves no degree in their rearview mirror, but they have this big college debt. Do you know that it comes out today that numerous of these people wasted a lot of that student loan that they signed off for and received on things other than their education. We hear reports this morning of people taking elaborate vacations, buying cars, even several reports of buying boats with student loan money. Listen, I don't care what you do with your money. I don't give a rip. You're going to be responsible for what you spend your money on, just like me. Now, if you're a mom and dad, and it's your kids, that's a different story. But I doubt that many moms and dads know about or would approve if they knew that their kids were wasting that student loan money. That in many cases, mom and dad are on the hook for repayment. Now, why did I even bring that up? It's because of this. Do you realize that because of the decision Joe Biden is making arbitrarily with no constitutional authority to do it, unless this is what they're telling us their justification, legal justification is for forgiving this debt, is during a time of national emergency, a president has some arbitrary powers that he can do, things that he can make decisions solely on his own based upon what he thinks is best. Joe Biden, those that surround him and whoever is pulling his marionette strings, which we think is probably Barack Obama, they told Joe, go for it. Just go for it. You got the power, buddy. Just step out there and do it. It's always easier to ask for forgiveness than it is to ask for the okay up front, permission. That's where Joe Biden finds himself. In a national emergency, a president cannot arbitrarily spend money that has not been approved to be spent by the United States Congress regarding loans and loan obligations, he or she can only maybe change and push back the due date, not canceling, postponing. Don't you think for a second that this singular effort on the part of Joe Biden to buy votes in November from these people that will feel obligated to the Democrats because a Democrat president is paying off my school loans. That's all this is about. 
It's not going to stand. It will be busted in court. I'm waiting to hear, and it's probably going to happen in the next 30 days. Actually, I think for sure it will happen. There will be a major court filing in federal court challenging Biden's presidential authority to do what he announced two days ago he's going to do. In just a few moments, we're going to hear from Pete Hickseth. I mean, this guy is really tuned in on this, and he's got a perspective that really makes sense. When I heard it, I thought it was so appropriate. I wanted you to hear it. But before we go there, I want to segue over to some more COVID news. Listen to this. This one will blow your mind. Moderna. Moderna now. We have Moderna. We have Pfizer and we have Johnson & Johnson, the three major manufacturers here in the U.S. of COVID vaccines. Moderna has filed a patent infringement lawsuit against Pfizer and against BioNTech, that company that Pfizer joined together with to produce our first vaccine. A patent infringement lawsuit in U.S. District Court and German Regional Court Friday in connection with the two companies' COVID-19 vaccine. Moderna alleges Pfizer and BioNTech's Comirnaty vaccine breaches its mRNA technology patents submitted between 2010 and 2016. It claims they developed their vaccine by copying the technology Moderna used to make its mRNA COVID-19 vaccine, spike vax. Well, there's a little more to this than just a patent violation or infringement lawsuit. You know that Pfizer and BioNTech drug we just talked about? And it's hard to say for me. It's hard to say. Uh, They come up with all these these names. Comir, C-O-M-I-R. Comirnaty, N-A-T-Y. Comirnaty is the only COVID vaccination that has been 100% approved by the FDA. Now think about that for a moment. We have the other Pfizer, the other Pfizer vaccine, and BioNTech, they joined together, and the one that they used that they've been selling I mean, in massive numbers around the world, it's not their Comirnaty. It's the other one. Now, why is that a big deal? We've reported this numerous times through our pandemic. Many of you forgot it. Some of you haven't heard it. The importance of a pharmacy drug to not be formally approved by the FDA but to remain in emergency authorization use only is this. As long as a drug is approved for EUA, emergency use access, and it stays there, any kind of problems that happen to those people that take these drugs that are in that status, they can't sue the pharmacy company. Well, who bears the liability for any of those issues? The federal government. So Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, Pfizer's number one vaccine, the three big ones that they put out in the marketplace, 
They're still out in the marketplace. None of those three have ever been fully approved by the FDA. Still to this day, all of these people with these massive, massive vaccine adverse effects, I'm talking about everything from paralysis, you can't walk, you lose limbs, you die from heart issues, brain issues, you name it, that are all, they're perfectly lined up with a finger pointing back at vaccine and vaccinations. They can't sue the drug manufacturers. They can only sue you and me. Have you ever gotten in a federal district court and filed a lawsuit against somebody? If you think it's expensive to do civil lawsuits in your state courts, try to get into the federal courts. You better have a minimum of six figures to go there. And still, that's only going to be the tip of the iceberg for you to try to get some satisfaction out of suing the federal government over these vaccine adverse effects that have happened to you or your loved ones. I'm not trying to discourage you. I'm telling you, they manipulated the American population. And they told us, the FDA even told us, Pfizer BioNTech's vaccination approved by the FDA. It was not the one that they had been and still are using across our nation. I have a next door neighbor whose son works for the federal government out in Salt Lake City, Utah. He called me to get clarification because his employer, uh, the federal government, were demanding that he get vaccinated. And he wanted to comply, but he had heard about this here we go again, Comirnaty. He heard that that was the only one that had been approved by the FDA. Where can he get it? He couldn't find it in Utah. Guess why? It's not available in the United States anywhere. It's available in Europe. Now, why would they do that? Simple. They don't want, they being big pharma, And then, by proxy, Big Pharma's representatives in the United States Congress and the White House, they don't want these other three to ever get fully approved by the FDA because Big Pharma doesn't want to get in the line of fire for any vaccine adverse reaction lawsuits. It's true, though. It's true. Now, as the feds continue to ease our COVID-19 rules, I mean, technically, we are still in an emergency for COVID-19. I get it. But we're not in a pandemic. Things have gotten a lot better. And even Biden and his cronies, when they get together, which they do all the time, they're not doing the mask thing anymore. They're making it optional. They're not doing social distancing anymore. They don't even talk about it. So if we're in an emergency, they're not acting like it's an emergency. It's just something that a tool that can be used to cancel student debt. Even as the feds continue to loosen the restrictions for all of us and its workforce, and the CDC, by the way, is abandoning its more restricted COVID recommendations for all of us, 
The Biden White House is citing ebbing pandemic as justification for canceling between $300 and $600 billion in student loan debt. Susan Rice, we very seldom see her out front. She's behind the scenes. She's the White House domestic policy advisor. She, along with Education Secretary Miguel Cardona, claimed Wednesday that the Higher Education Relief Opportunities for Student Act, and they're calling it the HEROES Act, it gives Biden the unilateral authority to implement his debt forgiveness plan without Congress's approval. They put out a fact sheet, and it basically says individuals making less than 125 G's would receive student loan debt forgiveness in amounts up to 10 grand. As much as 20 grand of debt cancellation would apply to Pell Grant borrowers making under 75,000 a year. The cutoff date for loans eligible for the forgiveness is June 30th of this year. In other words, nobody now that didn't have that debt then, but they have it now for this school year, is going to be eligible. I can't figure that one out. Biden promised that a short and simple form would be available for debt forgiveness applicants in the coming weeks, and then it was said after that, well, between now and the end of the year. Well, then why did they rush out the information if they're not ready to process all this stuff? One reason only, we're in primaries before the midterm elections. They got to get this out there because they have nothing regarding their success as government folks, nothing that they can point to and run elections, run races, run campaigns saying, look what we did for you. We got to find something. So let's throw this thing out there. We'll just tout it that here's what we're doing. It's done. It's done. Eh, We won't get it done. There's no rush. We'll wait. Under the HEROES Act legislation, which did become law in 03, the Secretary of Education has, quote, waiver authority to respond to a war or other military operation or national emergency. The secretary may waive or modify any statutory or regulatory provision applicable to the student financial assistance programs under Title IV of the Act as the secretary deems necessary in connection with a war or other military operation or national emergency. Earlier this month, the CDC updated its COVID guidelines and they abandoned their prior recommendations of testing and quarantine for asymptomatic COVID infectees and close contacts. That six-foot rule, social distancing, they abandoned it. And preferential treatment for vaxxed people, especially those who are up-to-date on shots, they abandoned it. But we're still in a national emergency. According to the Safer Federal Workforce Task Force guidance issued last week, in response to the CDC's update, agencies must stop requiring documentation of vaccination status as of this past Monday. The Safer Federal Workforce Task Force is led by the White House COVID-19 response team, the GSA, the General Services Administration, and the OPM, Office of Personnel Management. 
Task force members include, and I'm going to, it's just a bunch of gobbledygook. The bottom line is, to do the student loan thing, the only way to get it to pass muster was to stick it into the national emergency thing. And that dog will not hunt when it gets to federal court. Now, here's what they'll do. They do what's called forum shop. Forum shop. Now, whoever's going to file this suit against the Biden administration regarding using federal tax dollars for student loan forgiveness without it coming through Congress, whoever's going to do that, they're going to look and find the federal district court that they think they have the best chance of getting a test against the Biden administration doing this to get it stopped, the best chance to get the court to rule in their favor. So then what happens, of course, the Biden administration, should this district judge, should he rule against the Biden administration, they'll immediately, they'll file an appeal. And that appeal doesn't go back to that court. It goes to a federal appeals court. And that's where it really begins to get tough. Why? Every federal court is politicized. Every court is. Do you remember that that court out in the Southwest that for years was the largest appeals court and it was known to be totally in the tank far left. And so Democrats, when they wanted to and had some legislative suits to file or to appeal, they would go there because they had the best chance of getting judgments in their favor, which is exactly what happened. Donald Trump came in and he broke that all apart by appointing some conservative justices and they kind of made the balance come back to the middle, which is where it's supposed to be anyway. So we're going we're gonna to take our first break. But when we come back, as soon as we get back, I want you to hear Pete Hegseth of Fox News. I want you to hear him, hear him describe what's going on about all of the student debt forgiveness. And I think you'll agree when, uh, when you hear it, there's more going on than we think is going on, certainly more going on than should be going on in that regard. Pete had Seth and more straight ahead. Welcome to McDonald's. Can I take your order? Yeah, I'll have a pre-meeting pump-up, a Monday fixer, and a screaming boss recovery. So that's one peppermint mocha, one McCafe frappe, and one fruit smoothie? Yep. Name your drink. McDonald's has it. We're your destination for those special flavors that help you get through your day. Get any small McCafe smoothie, frappe, shake, or espresso drink for only $2. Even the delicious new peppermint mocha. For a limited time, price and participation may vary. Dear mind, I was in a good place, and the world changed. Daily uncertainties became huge struggles. I've missed so much, especially the grandkids. A lot happened to all of us. It's okay to not feel fine. Small things each day go a long way. Make time for you. Take Take care. care. Me. Create a healthier relationship with your mind. Search Dear Mind for more. Authorised by the Queensland Government, Brisbane. When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. 
When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Papa John is not interested in quality. He's obsessed with it. Because Papa John's a pizza maker. It's what he does. That's why you've got Papa's quality guarantee, signed by the man himself. Love your pizza, or we'll deliver another absolutely free. It's my guarantee. Better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. And right now, save 25% when you spend 25 pounds or more online. Do you do you like me? Do you get tired of all of the back and forth? I mean, let's just be honest. I don't care what your news source is. I'm talking about television, radio, whatever your news source is. It seems like every one of those sources that we go to, there's not just one man or woman sitting there giving, giving us the facts of that story. Oh, no. They can't just do that. What they must do, and it's for ratings, and ratings are for the ability to go sell more advertising and get more of it than your counterpart who didn't get the same ratings or better than you. That's all it's about. But every day we've got to sit there and we've got to listen to that station, their person's perspective, and then they bring somebody in every time that has a counter perspective and here are the two going back and forth. Now, in all those stations that are leftist, I'm talking about MSNBC, CNN, of course, the broadcast network, CBS, ABC, NBC, all of those people have a leftist slant. So what is their perspective going to be? They never just give us the facts in a nonpartisan faction. They give us their perspective, and then they bring in the uh, sacrificial lamb, somebody who has a conservative perspective, and then they just beat them up. And I got to tell you, on the other side of that, I'm sad to say this, but at Fox News, which is known to be the conservative network, and by the way, on Cable News Network, they're number one way, way, way ahead of MSNBC and CNN. Fox News does the same thing the other way. I will give them credit for this. The principal anchors at Fox News, and I'm talking about through the daytime shows, those people are more prone to be nice and not demeaning in any way. In fact, I know this for a fact. If they start demeaning those that come from with the leftist perspective, if they demean them on air, they're going to end up losing their jobs at Fox. That's a good thing. But still, even then, we always have to have the point counterpart point. And somebody has got to be, by the viewers, at the end of it all, be determined to lose and the other person to win. I don't think we need to have that. I think we need to just dig in and zero in on 
and analyze the facts, just the facts. Pete Hegseth weighed into this. And friends, weekend co-host and author of Battle for the American Mind, Pete Hegseth. Pete, great to see you, Goodbye. my friend. So Elizabeth Warren is sure this is a political winner. President Biden is <laughs> sure this is a political winner. Do you think it's going to end up being a political winner for the president and his party? It could be. I mean, listen, they're making a bet that uh, giving money to liberal arts graduates uh, will incline those those graduates on that giveaway to vote for them in November. All the timing is cynical. Uh, this is about creating dependency on government. It's about uh, rewarding uh, people who didn't work to pay off their loans mm -hmm. in many cases while not giving nothing to people who did. Brian, you got a bunch of kids. I got a bunch of kids. I know I'm going to end up having to pay for some of their education. I didn't know I had to pay for everybody else's, too. <laughs> and so I think there's a huge, I mean, and, and pay off the debts that they incurred. Right. And they did it cynically, Brian. They did it based on the HEROES Act. They said it in their five-page memorandum today from the Department of Education. The HEROES Act of 2003 meant to pause student loan payment for reservists and National Guardmen based on the response of 9-11. Now they want to apply that to COVID-19 and liberal arts graduates who they hope will vote for them. Right. This is how government expands the prerogatives it gets. Once you give them an inch, they take a mile. Here's a big example of that. Exactly. And, you know, we, we keep hearing it's, it's loan cancellation or forgiveness. It's not. It's a transfer. It's taking the debt and putting yes. it on somebody else's shoulders. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there who did the right thing. They worked darn hard to pay this off. And they're saying, so what's in this for me? I want you to go link, look back to, this is Elizabeth Warren back in 2020 on the campaign trail with a pretty angry dad asking her that very question. Listen to this. My daughter's getting out of school. I've saved all my money. She doesn't have any student loans. Am I going to get my money back? So you're going to pay for people who didn't save any money, and those of us that did the right thing get screwed. No, it's not even like that. Of course we did. My buddy had fun, bought a car, went on vacations. I saved my money. We did the right thing, and we get screwed. We did the right thing and we got <laughs> screwed. But it, isn't that the message, Pete, that the college students are getting? The right thing isn't to pay your loan. It's to wait for the government to bail you out. Wait for an election. You get the bailout. And for other Americans, it's why do the right thing? It doesn't matter anymore. It's exactly right. That's the ideological component to this. Do not uh, incentivize personal responsibility and savings, uh, creating more dependency and more eyes gazing to Washington, D.C. Mm. for their problems to be solved, as, as opposed to looking inward and saying, what can I do to improve my financial situation based on the debt I have incurred? By the way, Student loans haven't had to be paid for, what, two years now? Right. So it's not as if anybody's been paying student loans in the middle of us. Everybody got a break. Pausing it could have made sense in light of our economic situation and lockdowns. But canceling it is inherently unfair. The party that calls itself the party of fairness knows it. They can't answer that question. They're just hoping young people who are already inclined to believe government will solve mm. their problems will say, well, maybe that's a reason I should vote for those Democrats. Uh, even though this may not even be constitutional and could be overturned, it's a very cynical political giveaway. And it's insidious, Pete, because once you give 10K, the next, next ask, and we're already hearing it, is for 50K. And then it's Always. not just for people making less than 125000 I mean, there is no end to this, Pete. It's going to cost a heck of a lot more than anything the administration is suggesting. But even worse, this is how you go down the path to fully socialized college. That's where this is Absolutely. headed in one direction. 
I mean, is there a way to turn this around, Pete? Is there a way, if you get a change in Congress, if you get a change in the presidency <laughs> in 2024, can you turn this around? Well, I think we need to, I mean, I wrote a whole book about education in the K through 12. I think we totally need to challenge the cartel of the education system, higher education, which has driven the increase in costs based on the ability to borrow federal dollars. So it all builds on itself and everything costs more and we'll end up being on the hook for it. Stop that cycle. Don't go to that college if you don't need to. Mm. Look for an alternative path personally. Don't take on the debt. It's not worth it. They won't bail everyone else, everyone out in every circumstance. Policy-wise, I just think you have to get federal loans out of the business of mm. driving up the costs of higher education, which means everyone's borrowing more. And eventually, it's just like the Dreamers. You're looking at Dreamer 2.0, 3.0, mm. 4.0. The more you keep the border open, the more college gets more expensive and the loans get larger. Democrats are going to keep promising, as you said, 25, right. then 50,000, then 75,000 in loan forgiveness, which basically means we're sending you to college for free. So all you other chumps mm. who paid for it, well, you're chumps, like yeah. you said. And you know, I'm a professor. Professors ought to be the ones who are against this more than anyone. Because what does it say about the job we've done? We've overcharged and underdelivered, and now we got to bail out all of our customers. I mean, it's such an indictment of higher ed, but it's not necessary. This is supposed to be a job market with 10 million jobs available, Pete. If it's so good, you ought to be yep. able to get a job and pay it off. We got to leave it there, Pete. Always good to see you, my friend. Thanks, Brian. You got it. Who could state that better than what you just heard? The whole picture, the political piece where they're out there buying votes, the timing is not even questionable, it's very obvious, and the fact that it's not even going to happen until after the election is lost on these people that are saying, hey, we got to vote for them. We got to vote for all these Democrats because this Democrat president is the one that is, he's going to cancel $10,000 of my debt. Yeah, you know, I wasn't very prudent with the way I spent that money. Maybe I should have thought about going to community college, maybe business school. Maybe this college thing isn't for me. And because I made a bad choice, my neighbor across the street, who, as you heard the guy in the audio bite there, say that he did, talking to Senator Elizabeth Warren, saying, my neighbor borrowed the money, he bought a boat, he bought a car. Me and my wife, we didn't buy a boat, buy a car, or have a vacation. We save money for our kids' education. Now, if you do this, I'm going to have to pay for his boat and his vacation. How is that fair? Well, the simple answer is it's not fair. But it doesn't matter in the world of politics. And it's not just politics. Listen to this. Colleges are the ones that are driving the cost of education through the roof. Colleges are making millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars. Some of the nation's top universities and colleges are going to benefit from Joe Biden's $300 billion plus student loan debt handout after reports show they have spent millions doing this. This is going to frost you. They're spending millions lobbying Congress for education policies, including student loan handouts. According to Open Secrets, more than $130 million has been spent lobbying on education policies since a year ago. $130 million 
by a bunch of prominent colleges and universities. Now, they may profit from a decrease in student loan defaults. Some benefits of this handout, if it goes through for student loans, might be captured by colleges themselves in the form of, guess what? Higher prices, both tuition and net. Now, this comes from the Wharton School of Business in a study they just put out. If the government is paying for student tuition, rather than addressing the high cost of education, universities could think about it. They could maintain or even raise their already really, really, really high tuition rates. The Biden administration, in his announcement on Wednesday, said it would hold colleges accountable for tuition hikes. How? How? He has no authority to do that. Education is a big expense for young adults trying to pay their way through school, and the student loan debt crisis puts pressure on universities to reduce their prices. So, look, let me give you the firms, the lobbying firms, who are spending the big bucks. Association of American Medical Colleges, they spent $1.9 million lobbying the government on various initiatives. The issues include public service loan forgiveness, Student Loan Forgiveness for Frontline Health Workers Act to support loan forgiveness for COVID-19 health workers. The Student Loan Tax Elimination Act, which would eliminate the origination fees on federal student loans. And the Build Back Better Act. Earlier this year, the University of California spent $840,000. California State University 534000 on federal lobbying activities. University of Colorado and University of Pittsburgh both spent more than four hundred grand. Harvard spent 290000 lobbying on education issues. And Yale, two hundred eighty so far this year. A Wednesday press release from the White House that announced the student loan handout plan stated this. According to a Department of Education analysis, The typical undergraduate student with loans now graduates with 25 grand, 25 in debt. So the skyrocketing cumulative federal student loan debt, 1.6 trillion, that's trillion with a T, and rising for more than 45 million borrowers is a significant burden on America's middle class. Everybody goes into this with their eyes open. Everybody does. Nobody makes them borrow a dime. A 2017 study from the Federal Reserve Bank of New York says an increase in federal aid to students results in higher tuition rates from the university, meaning Biden's plan may reduce federal student debt, but it's going to raise tuition rates nationally. Kellyanne Conway reacted to the plan. She was on Sean Hannity on Tuesday. It's not fair to the welders, the carpenters, the hairdressers, the people who choose not to go to college or who couldn't afford to stay in college. It's not fair for them. It's also not fair for the people who have paid off their student loans because they've made personal financial sacrifices to allow them to do that. There's only one way this thing can go. If it is ruled by the courts that are going to handle it for sure to be all right. 
and to be legal. There's only one way for this to go, and you know where it's going to go. You heard Pete Hexeth talking about it just a few minutes ago. It's $10,000 now. Why can't it be 50000 I mean, we have Ivy League schools that charge 100000 a year in tuition. So why can't we just do this? Just turn college education costs, just turn it all, college is free, and the federal government picks up the tab. Boy, would that be a great place to live where all of the expenses of our education, we're already doing public primary and secondary education. Let's just do the rest of it, even grad school, medical school. Man, the government could just provide for all our needs. Yeah, that's called socialism. And just to remind you, there's not an example in U.S. history or world history. Not, I said U.S. We've never been socialist. Any nation on earth that was a true socialist government has either failed already or is failing right now today. The model doesn't work. The people just sit down. They don't get and stay involved because there's no reason to. There's no reason to try to accumulate or get better or move to a better job or a better home or anything like that. You just look to the capital and the government's going to spend all the money taking care of all of our needs. That, my friends, is a panacea. And it's a very unrealistic thing to want, even more unrealistic to expect. But there are tens of millions of Americans that do just back. Hey, more facts coming out in the Mar-a-Lago raid. More facts, more information more legal information. And we've got that in just a few minutes. And guess who's coming to talk to us about that? Somebody that really knows what's going on with this. Who would that be? Former clerk in the United States Supreme Court. Joined Tucker Carlson last night. That's up next. It's a lot to take in, but when you need a refresher, it's all here. 24-7, 365. Every podcast, every blog. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. Dinner, dinner, dinner. Every day you have to think of what's for dinner. Well, now Subway has a solution that is sure to please every person you have to feed for that last meal of the day. It's called Dinner Tonight. Every day after 4 p.m., Subway is offering a Dinner Tonight special, which includes two regular 6-inch subs, two bags of chips, and two 21-ounce fountain drinks, all for just $11.99. This offer is available all day long on Sundays. Subway of Kodiak. Eat fresh. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language like French, Spanish, or Russian, but thought it would be too difficult and time-consuming? Then go to Babbel.com and try it for free. Babbel works because it's built around real life. It teaches you everyday practical conversations that you will actually use. In 15 minutes a day, you'll be on your way to speaking a new language in just a few weeks. Babbel uses a modern conversation-based technique that makes language engaging, fun, and memorable. It starts by teaching you words and phrases. Then, sentences gradually get more complex. Soon, you're practicing short conversations about real-life topics. Babbel is created by language experts who use the space repetition method to help you learn quickly and remember what you learned. With Babbel, you can speak a new language. Babbel. 
language for life. Celebrating 10 million subscriptions sold. Now try Babbel for free at Babbel.com. Just go to Babbel.com and start learning a new language today. That's Babbel.com. B-A-B-B-E-L.com. This is the truth your mama warned you about. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. And Dan Newman. That's interesting to hear that. <laughs> I don't know that my mama <laughs> warned me about our government. But anyway, a lot of people, our mamas taught us, be careful about this, be careful about that. And I don't know about your mama, but if my mama knew this was going to happen, she certainly would have talked to me about it and got me prepped for it. Oh, well. Back to business here as usual today. Mar-a-Lago. Today's the big day. The federal judge said we've got to talking to the DOJ. He gave them till noontime today. That's 11 o'clock our time, right at the time this show goes off the air live. And, of course, they can release this affidavit, this redacted affidavit that shows the justification that they took to this judge in Florida to get that warrant to go to Mar-a-Lago and and raid it. That's due today at noon Eastern time. Now, there's a whole lot of moving parts in this Mar-a-Lago thing. And we could spend the whole show talking about it. We're not going to do that. But what I want you to hear is what a former U.S. Supreme Court clerk somebody that's plugged in dealing day after day after day with those nine justices on the Supreme Court, somebody that knows how the court operates, and I promise you, I've said this from the beginning, this Mar-a-Lago raid thing that the Department of Justice and FBI colluded on together to instigate and implement, all of this will end up at the U.S. Supreme Court. So with that in mind, Last night, Tucker Carlson had this guy on. Listen to what these two discuss. Mike Davis is the president of the Article 3 Project who joins me now. So this is pretty big, right? I mean, you got now smoking gun evidence. You got a document, a letter from the archives saying that White House lawyer was involved. Talked to Joe about the whole issue back in May. So can, can the president say he had no clue? It's just not believable. This is the same... Attorney General Merrick Garland, who said that he did not personally approve this raid, he, he leaked that to Newsweek. That's not true. Uh, they, they said that President Trump had nuclear documents, which we know is completely bogus. They've been leaking grand jury material, illegally leaking grand jury material. They're, they're selectively leaking, improperly leaking from this affidavit. They also said that Merrick Garland said that the Biden White House didn't have advance notice. That's just not true. We know that White House deputy counsel to the president, Jonathan Sue, like you said, have been, has been working with the archives for, for three months. And he that the Biden President Biden had to make the determination himself as the president whether he was going to waive executive privilege for the former president. That is an unprecedented waiver of executive privilege that led to this criminal investigation in this in this raid, this unprecedented, unnecessary, and unlawful raid on Biden's former political rival and his future political rival. So Biden and his lawyer, by waiving this privilege of the former president, set in motion the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago, did they not? 
That is absolutely right. Presidents of the United States have the absolute constitutional power to classify or declassify anything we want, anything they want in any manner they want. The 1988 Supreme Court decision, Department of Navy versus Egan, uh, made that clear. Also, presidents have the absolute sole authority, according to a 2012 Obama judge ruling, to determine whether records are personal that belong to the president or presidential records that go to the bureaucrats of the archives and then almost certainly get sent back to the former president's library. This is a political witch hunt, a political fishing expedition on President Trump because the Biden administration knows that President Trump declassified and made personal a copy of the crossfire hurricane records, Russian collusion records. Those records are very damaging politically to Obama, Biden, Hillary, the FBI, the intel community, and that's why they they ordered, they went to this biased judge in Florida and got this unprecedented home raid on a former president to get back these documents. Yeah, it's a cleanup job and it's a hatchet job. It's the same thing that the Mueller investigation was. Couldn't agree more. Thank you so much for your expertise. A couple of things there. First of all, I said it was Tucker Carlson. It was Jesse. Oh, my gosh. Sorry about that. But the other thing I wanted you to listen closely to, did you hear what that clerk said was the real reason for this? And when I heard this last night, I said, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. I wish I knew where exactly in this thing so that you could hear it again. Let me um, let me start right here. Listen, I think this is it. If it's not, I'll stop it and go find it. But anyway. Those records are very damaging politically to Obama, Biden, Hillary, the FBI, the intel community, and that's why they... They ordered. They went to this biased judge in Florida and got this unprecedented home raid on a former president to get back these documents. Yeah, it's a cleanup job. It's a cleanup job. Those records that he was talking about was all of the records, all of the information that came out that implicated Barack Obama, Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton, and others, including members of the FBI in the Crossfire Hurricane investigation. It was all going on even before the Trump administration and during the Trump administration that included all those things investigated by the Mueller investigation. You know, they didn't find anything. It was a setup. And so this Supreme Court clerk says it's a witch hunt going after all those documents to try to keep Donald Trump from releasing those. Interesting, isn't it? Does it sound to you like it does to me that maybe our federal government is getting way too much in the way of power? Power. Now, we've got some social media things to talk about today. We don't do it real often, but we do today. You know, Elon Musk... He is the guy that went really, really, he went long and made an offer to buy Twitter. You remember that? We kind of forgot about that because it's in litigation. A Delaware judge has ordered Twitter yesterday to turn over more data to Elon Musk in the next two weeks, but they stopped short of giving the Tesla chief all the data he wanted, saying his requests were absurdly broad. So what is this all about? On August 25th, Chancellor Kathleen McCormick of Delaware's Court of Chancery 
ordered Twitter to reveal the data from 9,000 accounts that it analyzed in a fourth quarter audit. The purpose was to estimate the number of spam or bot accounts on the social media platform. Twitter had initially claimed that the data didn't exist and it would be hard to recreate it. We all know that's a scam. That's not the case. This is all about Elon Musk saying, hey, look, Twitter had a bunch of fake accounts, so that made all of the accounts that were part of Twitter that they reported during the sale when he was buying it, and that drove the price, the value, the based on the fake accounts out there, it drove the price way up, the justification for the price they agreed on. And so Elon said, you know what? I'm going to back out of this because you won't give me the numbers of those fake accounts so I can determine if what we had agreed on in price was real. And so when he backed out, Twitter just sued him. They go to court. This is going to be interesting to watch what happens here. On a lot of fronts, there are a lot of big companies out there that buy advertising and a lot of it on social media, YouTube, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, all the social media platforms. And if there are a bunch of fake accounts out there that drives the numbers of accounts, that means people that are participating on those social media sites. And so the price of the advertising they sell goes up. In my world, that's called um, fraud. Hmm. That's interesting. So Elon Musk, he bucks everybody out there. I don't care who it is that disagrees with him. And he just went for the juggler. We're going to watch this closely because let me tell you what's going to happen. We're going to find out that Twitter cooked the books. And doing so, they got a lot of advertising money based on fake information they gave to advertisers. We are going to see more lawsuits filed against Twitter from these companies out there that were given false, fake information with which they used to justify buying advertising on Twitter. Elon's going to end up buying and owning Twitter, but it's going to be for much less than what he agreed to pay initially, but he backed away from because of the quote-unquote fraud of Twitter. We're watching that closely. But the big social media story, the bombshell that came out last night, Mark Zuckerberg. We hadn't heard from Zuckerberg lately. I mean, he stayed behind the scenes, I think, since the election, the 2020 election and the aftermath when it came to light that he and his wife had surreptitiously dumped a bunch of money on election offices that ended up being used to, I'm not going to say commit fraud. I'm just going to say to manipulate some of the election results in the 2020 election. Not going to get into that. But yesterday, Zuckerberg was on the Joe Rogan show. Who's Joe Rogan? Come on now. (laughs) He has the number one YouTube, the most watched YouTube video of all. He has 12 million followers, 12 million. 
That's a couple of more than we have here at TNN Live. Just saying. <laughs> but Rogan and Zuckerberg got into it about a lot of things about social media and a lot of things that went on in and around the election that impacted the election. And I think you know what I'm talking about. So, what really happened? Ah, just listen to this. You'll get your answer. There was a lot of attention on Twitter during the election because of the Hunter Biden laptop story. The New York Post. Yeah, we had that too. Yeah, so you guys censored that as well? The FBI, I think, basically came to us, some some folks on our team, and was like, hey, um, just so you know, like, you should be on high alert. There was, the, we, we thought that there was a lot of Russian propaganda in the 2016 election. We have it on notice that basically there's about to be some kind of dump of, of um, uh, that's similar to that. So just be vigilant. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg making that shocking revelation this week about Facebook's suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop story right before the 2020 huh. presidential election. Funny how that happens. Joe Concha joins us now. Joe, here's the Facebook yeah. quote to Fox News. We didn't block the New York Post story. We temporarily reduced its distribution to give fact-checking partners time to review it. For those of you who aren't familiar with Facebook, basically, they didn't allow it to come up really high on many people's timelines, so many people didn't see it. Revelations like this, Joe, beg the question, how coordinated was this suppression, was this election interference, and how high up did it go? Yeah, and another question, Todd, why that particular story at that particular time in October of 2020? How about the story that there were Russian bounties on U.S. troops uh, and that Donald Trump knew about it and allowed it? Was that also fact-checked and therefore reduced in terms of distribution? No, of course not. Uh, there, there's a political play here. And you have to love Joe Rogan in, in these situations where he just was able to have Mark Zuckerberg so casually just talk about the, the, this bombshell like he was like he was talking about a vacation he just took with the family at Disney, right? So good for Joe Rogan. Uh, but, but let's be clear. The FBI coercing Facebook to censor information is a direct violation of the First Amendment. And the agency, according to Mark Zuckerberg, okay, interfered in the 2020 election, J just as they interfered after the 2016 election via James Comey, who was the FBI director at the time, buying into all those contents of the Steele dossier that ultimately launched the Russia collusion investigation. Uh, here we have a government, and this is what should be chilling for everybody, deciding what news can and cannot be shared on huge social media platforms like uh, like Facebook. And obviously Twitter was infinitely worse because they outright censored the story and locked out accounts uh, that shared the story. So this is where we are at this point. Government and big tech working together on behalf of a political party. And, and that's what not, this is certainly not what the United States of America is all about, Ashley. Yeah. So, Joe, is Zuckerberg to blame here? Is the FBI? Do you think anybody is going to be held accountable? Do you think it's both? Well, Ashley, I, I'd like to hear what Christopher Wray, the, the FBI uh, director who was appointed by Donald Trump, what, what he would have to say about this. Uh, they have not commented on this yet, uh, but I would hope then the next time that Mr. Wray is in, on Capitol Hill uh, at some sort of hearing taking questions, that this would be question number one. Why are you going to social media companies and telling them uh, that a story may be Russian disinformation when you don't even quite know that yet? What, what, what was your purpose there? Uh, I, I'd like to hear from the FBI director on that, Ashley and Todd. Let's get to some Friday hypocrisy. There's always hypocrisy, but yeah. this is just wow. White House letting unvaccinated migrants flood into our country 
No questions asked. But tennis star Novak Djokovic won't be able to compete in the U.S. Open. You know Novak, the greatest tennis player in the world. Uh, he was denied entry into our country over his vaccination status. Here's what the U.S. Open tournament director is saying. Even they're disappointed. Novak's a great champ. It's very unfortunate he'll be unable to compete at the 2022 U.S. Open as he is unable to enter the country due to the federal government's vaccination policy for non-U.S. citizens. We look forward to welcoming Novak back at the 2023 U.S. Open. How bad does all this make the White House look? Even the U.S. Open saying, we know this mandate's going to be gone by 2023, even though the emergency yeah. is gone now. Uh, Todd, I'm glad you read that statement because people are mad at the U.S. Open at tennis. They, no, it has nothing to do with tennis. This is the U.S. federal government that isn't allowing uh, Novak Djokovic uh, into the country. And, and look, here you have a relatively young professional athlete who already got COVID. He had it in, in December. Therefore, he has natural immunity. And, and even though Djokovic uh, did not uh, did get the vaccine, as as we've seen, it, 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 it doesn't stop the spread of transmission. Uh, the CDC and Rochelle Walensky have admitted this. And we see example after example with the president and the first lady vaccinated multiple times, getting COVID and, and being reinfected shortly thereafter. I mean, this is tennis, by the way, a sport that literally socially distances its competitors. And yet here we have a country that is on track to allow more than four million illegal migrants, as Tom Homan was just talking about, uh, to enter this country, most of whom I would suspect are not vaccinated if they're coming from countries like Guatemala or Nicaragua or Haiti, uh, given how few vaccines are available in those countries. So, so tennis fans are being robbed here because here you have uh, Rafa Nadal and Novak Djokovic uh, neck and neck for the most grand slam titles in history and only one will be at Arthur Ashe Stadium. It's a shame. I would have loved to have seen those two go at it. But tennis fans, fans in general who don't normally watch tennis but tune in for the U.S. Open, they're getting robbed here, guys. They are. And so is he. It is unbelievable. Joe Concha, have a great weekend, my friend. What you just heard was a bunch of hypocrites, a bunch of hypocrisy stories, things that were done, and it's all about our federal government and people that work in our federal government. Mark Zuckerberg with Joe Rogan, he just he just came out basically and said, yeah, a month before the 2020 election, the FBI reached out to Facebook and warned us that there was a big story that was probably going to come out that was probably going to make some allegations just before the 2020 election that was going to impact the way people think about voting. But the FBI told Zuckerberg, yeah, this could be, you know, Russia disinformation. And of course, they were talking specifically about the release of the news about the Hunter Biden laptop and its contents, which probably, to be honest with you, would have resulted and Joe Biden not winning the election because all of all of the stuff on Hunter's laptop, when it's taken in context, and there's a bunch of context on it, it all points to the big guy, Joe Biden, being implicated in a bunch of shady doing. Maybe not himself putting his fingers in it, but the Biden family syndicate implicated in a bunch of wrongdoing, and it probably would have changed the minds of a few American citizens. Now, this all goes back to stuff that happened in the 2020 election. You know, you can't talk about there being cheating in the election. You can't talk about irregularity. If you do, you're going to get shut up. 
I mean, look at the FBI going to Facebook of all places and saying, ah, you know, you don't need to believe this stuff that's coming around, putting their thumb on the results. There's a lot of that going on. And of course, we can't talk in the aftermath about there being exposure of voting cheating around the nation. We here at TNN Live, we have reported 13 different states, not always the states, but within all of the states that are of record, there have been 13 voter, at least irregularity, but at most actual cheating that have been discovered, unearthed, and these people brought to be held accountable for their wrongdoing. The latest is from Wisconsin. I just got this yesterday. Less than two weeks before the August 9th primary election, Racine County Sheriff Christopher Schmalling called on Wisconsin election officials to immediately suspend a major portion of the state-run absentee ballot program. The story says the sheriff also requested an immediate statewide investigation based on an alleged serious threat to voter integrity. The Racine County Sheriff's Office stated on social media it was acting in response to citizen complaints that reported apparent vulnerabilities to fraudulent voting within the state's website, My Vote Wisconsin. Now, My Vote is an official online election administration and information website for the state of Wisconsin. So listen to what these citizens reported to the sheriff's office. Citizens reported that with only a person's name and date of birth, anybody can request another person's ballot and have the ballot sent to any address that's entered. No identification is needed. The requester can make a declaration of being indefinitely confined. Thus, for the current and the future elections, the representative, the requester, will be sent someone else's ballot at the different address. According to the sheriff's office, to test the vulnerability of the MyVote system, one complainant had a second party request an absentee ballot for him. The second party requested that the ballot be sent to the second party's address. The second party received the complainant's ballot in the mail. And then there was another complainant, a business consultant from the racing area, He talked about this vulnerability. He said that when a person goes to the My Vote Wisconsin website and searches by name, he can then enter a person's name and date of birth, and immediately the person's address pops up. He said a person's date of birth is easily obtainable for marketing companies that routinely sell dates of birth, email addresses, cell phone numbers, street addresses to anybody in the public. Next, The person can request an absentee ballot and direct it to be delivered to an address other than the address of the voter who was ostensibly requesting the ballot. He can then declare the voter to be indefinitely confined by checking a box on the form and can request that an absentee ballot be sent to the different address for the upcoming election and every election thereafter. According to this guy, Anybody from around the world can order absentee ballots for anybody 
from Wisconsin, especially for names registered to vote in our big cities where it's impossible for election workers to know everybody. Now, of course, then what happens in a press release? The Wisconsin Elections Commission stated there's no indication of any vulnerability with the MyVote application. Voter fraud remains rare in Wisconsin. The WEC and your local clerk are continually monitoring for any unlawful activity, working with state and federal authorities to investigate any and all attempts to break the law regarding access to the absentee ballots. Yada, 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 yada. Same song, second verse. Of course, they did not address any of the allegations these people, these voters in Wisconsin made, discussed the examples of voter fraud that these people saw and actually found out that it happened and it could happen, and it certainly did happen again and again and again. There's no protection for the votes, the real votes that were cast in Wisconsin. That's just one more. That's number 14 for us here. But you can't talk about those. It's a big secret. If you talk about it, you'll be accused of participating in the big lie. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. My goodness, my goodness, my goodness. What are you going to do this weekend? You got any big plans? If you live in North Louisiana, come go with me to Louisiana Tech University, to the Joe I.A. Stadium Complex. You probably have no idea who Joe I.A. is. He was the great longtime coach, head football coach at Louisiana Tech, and the stadium is named after him. What's going on there? Tonight and tomorrow, there is a huge conglomerate of high school football Uh, jamboree games. That's what they call them in the South. When they get together, they don't play an entire game. They usually play two quarters against teams from around the state. And my purpose for going is all six of my grandkids, well, actually two have already graduated from this high school, but the other four are at Evangel Christian Academy. And one of those grandsons is a wide receiver for the Evangel Christian Academy, Eagles. And so I'll be over there. Now, why did I tell you that? Just to let you know what I'm doing this weekend. I've already mowed the yard. I mowed it in the rain yesterday. So I don't have to do that. And uh, the other is just the normal weekend thing. So I'm going to go over. They're playing tomorrow. They're not playing tonight. I'm going to go over there. Louisiana Tech has done some amazing uh, things to their football facility. It's it's it. To be honest with you, we all know Louisiana Tech is not an exceptionally large school. Um, that means that typically they don't have the money, so therefore the athletic facilities are not the best. Well, that's different over there in Lincoln Parish. They have done an amazing job with their fan base, their alumni through the years, and there are quite a few famous and wealthy alumni that come through that school. Uh, When I was there, the four years I was there, Two of those years, the school won two national championships in football. And listen to these NFL All-Pros that came off of those two teams. Fred Dean, by the way, Fred Dean, defensive tackle, he's in the NFL Hall of Fame. Uh, Roland Harper, running back, longtime running back for the Chicago Bears. He was a fullback that blocked for sweetness all those years. 
All-Pro, Roland Harper. Pat Tilly, wide receiver, All-Pro for the St. Louis Cardinals. Baltimore, Baltimore Orioles. Roger Carr, All-Pro wide receiver. Billy Rickman, All-Pro for the Atlanta Falcons as a wide receiver. And who am I forgetting? Who am I forgetting? Who am I forgetting? Mike Barber, All-Pro tight end for Houston, the Houston Texans. Actually, it was the Houston Oilers at that particular time. All those All-Pros and one NFL Hall of Famer came off those football teams. So they they built up on that. And um, obviously, there are a lot of those guys that made a lot of money. They contribute very heavily over there. Carl Malone, longtime NBA star. He came from Louisiana Tech. And oh, by the way, I did too. I came from Louisiana Tech. <laughs> uh, I was in the press box. <laughs> I wasn't on the field and uh, certainly was not eligible. I want you to have a good weekend. Let me, let me challenge you to try to do this. All these things that we talk about all week long, they could get you down if you just let them pile on layer upon layer upon layer. Don't let that happen. Don't let any circumstance out there, even the bad things that happen to you personally and your family, don't let it destroy your life. I mean, I'm not trying to diminish the importance. If you've got health problems, if you've got relationship problems, I'm not trying to diminish those in any way. That's not what I'm talking about. But don't let circumstances steal your joy. Enjoy what you're doing. Have fun doing it. Enjoy who you're with. And if you can't be with people that you want to be with for whatever the circumstances are, be open. Find and make new relationships. Life is too short to just get caught up in anger and self-loathing and thinking about things that are just beyond the possibility for you. Be realistic. Stretch your horizons. And I don't care what your age is. I'm 69. I told somebody the other day, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do when I grow up. I'm not quitting on life. I'm not going to sit on the couch as a retiree. I'm not a retiree. I'm working. I hope you don't think that doing this show and running this website that we do, truthnewsnet.org, is just something you do half-hearted and get the results that we're getting. I'm not bragging about what we are and who and what we are doing. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying I'm not quitting. Nobody in my life is, I'm not letting anybody quit. We're keep we're keeping going. And I challenge you to do the same thing. One other voter thing as we move forward. The U.S. Western District Court of Michigan. Listen to this. This one's funny, actually. The court denied a plea by Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, who, by the way, is a Democrat. And what was her plea? She sought to halt a lawsuit that alleging she kept nearly 26,000 dead registrants on the state's voter rolls. 26,000. In November of 21, the Public Interest Legal Foundation filed suit against the secretary, accusing her of keeping nearly 26,000 dead people, dead people, on Michigan voter rolls. And that 
of course, violates the National Voter Registration Act. Benson, in response, she went to court, asked the court to throw the lawsuit out. Yesterday, the district court denied her efforts to dismiss the case. It's astonishing that Secretary Vinson is so vigorously opposing effective list maintenance, said PILF President J. Christian Adams. It's remarkable that after sharing this data with the Secretary of State in 2020, dead registrants remained on the state's voter rolls. This initial win is the first step to ensure that deceased registrants are not receiving ballots and reducing the opportunity for fraud in Michigan's elections. This lawsuit alleges 25,975 dead people are on Michigan's voter rolls, including, listen to this, 23,000 registrants who have been dead for five years or more, 17,000 who have been dead for at least a decade, 39,000 registrants who have been dead for at least 20 years, 20 years, 4,000 who have been dead for at least 20 years. Now, come on. (laughs) You're not leaving these people on these voter rolls accidentally. I mean, there's this National Registration Act, the National Voter Registration Act, NVRA it's called. It is very explicit, and it gives the responsibility, it outlines the responsibility for state secretaries that run these elections. They are to make sure, and it doesn't say every year, every other year, whatever, but that everybody who is registered to vote in those states is legally eligible to be registered and therefore legally eligible to vote. Now, let me ask you this. Of those 26,000 dead folks, how many of them got up in 2020 and went to the election poll and voted? Or they filled out an absentee ballot and sent it in? I guarantee you, and this story is going to go on, it's going to linger because there's more to it. We're going to find out that a whole bunch of them voted. (laughs) Oh my gosh, you just can't make this stuff up. Are these people so stupid that they feel they're going to get away with this? Now there's a bit of news coming out of Arizona. We don't talk much about Arizona. Arizona figured really big time in the results of the last election. As you know, went on long, 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 went on and on and on. And there were thousands of voters that voted in that election either didn't vote at all, but somebody else did, or they didn't live there anymore, or they voted illegally. More and more about that is coming out. So they got an election going on coming up this fall for governor specifically. Carrie Lake happens to be the Republican nominee for governor in Arizona. So during a recent appearance On One America News, Carrie Lake brought up the multi-million dollar racial discrimination verdict against her opponent in the race. Hobbs is her name. Hobbs, while discussing the fact that Hobbs has refused to debate her. Carrie Lake said this, Katie Hobbs is MIA, missing in action. It's just crazy. You should have to debate your opponent, right? but she refuses to debate me. Now, this is Carrie Lake. She's the nominee. She won the Republican primary there. 
I guess I can't blame her, Carrie said. She doesn't have anything to run on. She knows that I'm going to hold her accountable for her horrific record. This woman is a monster. She's been twice convicted of being a racist. Two separate juries convicted Hobbs of racial discrimination, costing the voters close to $3 million. Now, those comments were about a 2021 jury verdict that awarded nearly $3 million bucks to one of Hobbs' former staffers who alleged race and sex discrimination. The $2.75 million verdict was Arizona's second largest civil verdict last year. Back in 2015, Talanya Adams, who worked for then-Arizona Senate Minority Leader Hobbs, discovered her white and male colleagues were being paid more than she. After she discovered this, Adams asked to be paid as much as her fellow staffers. Adams took an already approved family leave shortly after asking for a raise, but she would not return to her position as an Arizona Senate policy advisor. Adams was informed that the Senate would terminate her employment while she was on leave. As a result, Adams sued Hobbs in the Arizona Senate, alleging she was fired in retaliation for highlighting her discriminatory pay. So after the lawsuit, two separate federal juries ruled in her favor, gave her two and three quarter million dollars in damages. So you have a court that says what this former staffer in the Senate in Arizona, Hobbs, who's running for governor because of the things that she did, it was a discriminatory act. And two separate juries agreed. This is all coming out. This kind of stuff that comes out when you have these uh, these big contentious races in states around the nation. And they're appropriate things that we need to talk about here. So let's talk news for a second. Let's talk news stations. Let's talk about news reporters. How about, oh, let me think of one. Uh, let's go to CNN. Who has been the most loud, boisterous, and uh, controversial person on CNN and CNN's news department? Who is it? Who do you think it is? Brian Stelter comes to mind for me. Little Brian. Sleepy little Brian Stelter. His show was about media. It was about media. And basically what that meant was he was going to be able to, in his show every day, he was going to be able to blast anybody in the media world that disagreed with him or disagreed with CNN. Well, little Brian, he got pushed to the curb. He got fired along with a bunch of other CNN operatives as CNN was bought by the parent company of Discovery. And they basically have said, hmm, Maybe we need to try to make money with CNN instead of lose money with CNN. And they did their analysis as any purchasing entity would do. And they found out we've got some on-air people that aren't getting good ratings. And therefore, financially, their shows are failing. And for business reasons only, we're told, they fired Brian Stelter. Why was he really fired? All right, Brian Stelter officially signing off the airwaves for the last time at CNN after the network canceled his show. 
I know it's not partisan to stand up for decency and democracy and dialogue. It's not partisan to stand up to demagogues. It's required. It's patriotic. We must make sure we don't give platforms to those who are lying to our faces. That's why CNN needs to be strong. That's why I believe CNN will always be strong. Joe Cox is strong, and he joins us now. Joe, you heard Stelter use that phrase. It's not partisan. It's not partisan. Clearly, that was a dig mm -hmm. at the new boss who has basically said, look, I want CNN to be down the middle. I don't want it to be a Democratic mouthpiece. What did you make of those comments? Uh, this is why, Todd, Carly, you, you don't allow somebody who just got fired a couple of days ago to go back on the air and do what he has been doing for months and months, which is bashing, criticizing new leadership that was coming in, Discovery, which took over CNN, uh, Chris Licht, uh, who is now the new CNN president. Uh, and, and the fact that, you know, you watched this program yesterday, you would think that this host, who just got fired a few days ago, just won the World Series of cable news shows, right? Uh, here you had Brian Stelter, openly criticizing one of his new bosses, John Malone, Discovery's largest shareholder. Again, Discovery now owns CNN. Uh, and, and by the way, Malone's been in, this, in the media business for decades and is, is quite highly respected. Uh, he called him a misinformed idiot about CNN and not very bright when it comes to journalism in general. And, and all John Malone observed was something that is completely obvious to anyone who follows what CNN has become or had become under Jeff Zucker, who's CNN's former president, right? A completely partisan, politically hyperbolic network that, that became almost all opinion and did so under the guise of what people like Stelter deemed as journalism. And, and believe me, he was a chief offender of this new brand of what they call journalism. Yet he comes on and lectures us on how to do our jobs, which made him a punchline in this business. Uh, but my favorite moment yesterday, and I'll leave it here, was when Stelter proclaimed that his show was one of the highest rated on CNN on weekends, which is like being, you know, the skinniest kid at fat camp. I mean, talk about the hubris of the defeated and Fox's media show, Media Buzz, uh, handily beat Stelter almost every week over his nine year reign as host, and yet somehow he's proud of this and he shouldn't be. But don't worry about Brian Stelter and you say, oh boy, you know, the guy just lost his job, you're being mean. No, he's going to be at MSNBC before you know it, back at the New York Times, most likely. Uh, and, and we're going to be talking more about Brian Stelter at his new homes very soon. But again, yeah. what CNN has become, Carly, is exactly what Brian Stelter offered, which is uh, somebody you cannot trust and, and quite frankly, opinion under the guise of journalism. Well, here are some comments from the now former CNN host over the years. Watch this. Okay. President Trump promotes conspiracy theories. He shares racist videos on social media. Citizens in other countries sometimes email me and say, you know, why doesn't the American media just call out Trump for what he is, call Trump fandom for what it is? Sometimes they use the word cult. So the new bosses, as you mentioned at CNN, are apparently interested in a less opinion-driven news. Do you think that's why he got fired? And will that vision become a reality? No. No, I think the reason why he got fired is because he, like I said before, he, he obviously uh, was highly critical of new management coming in, but also off the record was going to publications uh, that he had some friends at uh, where he would 
try to undermine what the new management is trying to do. And you can't have somebody like that in your news organization that you can trust. He, he was doing so because he was upset that his old boss got fired. And then from the inside, he was trying to dismantle CNN. And you can't have somebody like that on there. So that that's why Brian Stelter got fired. Yeah, his ratings weren't very good. That's true. But in the end, you had somebody that was looking to take down this network or at least trying to take down what they were trying to do uh, by bashing it from the inside. And you can't have somebody you can't trust in your organization. It's that mm -hmm. simple. Yeah, for somebody who was attacking, quote unquote, cult, it seems like he had a little cult there with uh, Jeff Zucker. You know, if, if you're still defending your boss after he's gone, you may have a problem there, Brian. Uh, meantime, Washington Post admitting President Biden may not be the top surrogate for Dems heading into the midterms. Quote, the president isn't featured in ads. He goes largely unnamed on campaign websites and Twitter accounts. And candidates in key races and battleground states are either not asked Asking him to come or avoiding him when he does. Joe, how does this jive with the White House promoting its victory tour over the so-called Inflation Reduction Act? Seems like those two things are at loggerheads. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what's amazing here, right? Uh, you have a president that's still polling at this moment, lower than any first-term president in polling history. We're talking about from Trump, uh, Trump back, all the way back to Truman. Uh, and, and quite frankly, uh, uh, one poll, and I'll leave it here, guys. 31% of California voters, all right, want this president to seek a second term. He simply is not good in interviews. Uh, he doesn't have his fastball, whatever it was, in the first place anymore. And they, they want the message out there without the messenger uh, giving the message, if that makes sense. Joe, you're good in interviews. That's why we keep coming to you every single day. Concha, thanks. Appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Joe. You know what illustrated most in this particular thing? That was Fox News. You know that. That was Fox News, their early morning show, and they were analyzing the latest at CNN. CNN, when they talk about Fox News, at least the old CNN, I don't know what the new CNN is going to look like. They, MSNBC, does the same thing. When they talk about Fox News, it's just like you talking to a hardcore leftist person regarding politics. If you get into a discussion about your politics compared to theirs. When CNN talks about Fox News as compared to their politics, what's the common thing that happens there? When you talk to them and you explain your perspective and they disagree with you, you just say, you know what? They disagree with me and I disagree with them. But we're just going to agree that we're going to have differences and move forward. The other way around in news and also when you're talking to individuals about politics, it's exactly opposite of that. If you're a conservative and they're a leftist, when they explain to you what they think and you explain what you think, everything's okay. We just agree to disagree. But when you tell them what your political perspective is and you're conservative, they immediately brand you. You're worthless. You're evil. You need to be pushed out somewhere where nobody can see or hear you, you're a homophobe, you're a xenophobe, you're a sexist, a racist, and you're one of those evil MAGA peoples. Oh, now it's these super MAGA people. That's what you just heard. Fox News. I wanted to illustrate the differences between what we hear again and again. You heard what Brian Stelter said about Trump and Trump's supporters, and he had that pregnant pause when he said these people from foreign countries, they call him and say, why don't y'all just call out 
Donald Trump and say what he actually is. And his supporters, you know, they come up with the word cult. How demeaning is that? Brian Stelter probably doesn't know half a dozen conservatives and doesn't care to even know or understand any any person, any person that is a conservative. Doesn't give a rip. Doesn't matter what he would find out from talking to one of those conservatives in a way that, you know, a reporter should, seeking information, coming up with news, getting perspective that uh, is truthful. (laughs) Anyway, little Brian, he's headed for other places. We don't know where. Up next, Southern Border News. The truth. Straight. No chaser. TNN. The world tells you to wait, that waiting is polite, and good things will just come. But if I waited to be invited in, I never would have stood out. If I waited for change to happen, I never would have made a difference. So make the first move. Don't wait to be told your place. Take it. Don't wait for people to find you. Find them. In work. In love. In life. And most of all, don't wait to be given power. Because here's what they won't tell you. We already have it. Here's the latest traffic report. Looks like miles of trouble-free driving with Napa Auto Parts. Your local Napa Auto Parts dealer in Modesto has a full line of quality parts for your car or truck. Napa Auto Parts keeps America running and Modesto Auto and Truck is ready to keep your vehicle running in tip-top shape for years to come. So if you think your car or truck needs help under the hood, think of Napa Auto Parts at Modesto Auto and Truck Parts, 924 G Street in downtown Modesto, 529-8342. 529-8342. In a world where truth is in short supply, you have an abundance of it right here. TNN, the Truth News Network. Do you realize the estimate is that by the end of this coming year, we will have had 4 million illegals cross our southern border into the United States. 4 million. That's hard to believe. President and his Homeland Security Chief Alejandro Mayorkas were criticized yesterday. This is not from anybody in, you know, the United States. He gets criticized by all of us for what's going on down at the southern border. But this time, somebody with a little different perspective, a Central American trafficker, a trafficker that makes money by getting these people up here. This tracker revealed what the U.S.'s open border policy has allowed Mexican drug cartels to do to unaccompanied or kidnapped children. Now, this trafficker, speaking anonymously to investigative reporter Sarah Carter, said that the cartels are very keen on, at times, even purchasing children 
often for the purpose of using them as drug mules or even harvesting their organs to sell on the black market. This is unconscionable. The trafficker said juvenile organs fetch high prices for cartels and that the deceased children's bodies are often filled with illicit drugs and smuggled into the United States using the corpse as a form of protection against detection. In many cases, they just have the children there. They have a purpose. Only they know what purpose they're going to serve. But yeah, they are just going to keep them there, and the children are not going to be free ever again. This is the trafficker talking to Sarah Carter. Buck Sexton is a former CIA officer and current co-host of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton show. Sexton said the trafficker's tale exposes the open borders policy of Biden and Mayorkas as deeply unethical. It's been the case for the entirety of the Biden administration, he said. Their approach to the border is unethical. It's immoral. And it's also deeply cynical as a matter of politics. They could try to change the incentive structure for illegal crossings. They could try to limit the lawlessness as best they can give additional Border Patrol resources. Sexton said the Border Patrol officers he engages with replied that they are now essentially humanitarian officers rather than law enforcement, in part because in many of these cases, the law isn't even considered. What you have is the highest level of drug overdoses in U.S. history. He said that pointing to how fentanyl traffic through Mexico from China is one of the top killers of young people year over year. MS-13 and other transnational gangs treating our southern border like a wide-open highway. The trafficking of humans, this is all appalling. He said Biden has now decided to make the situation even worse. How? Dispatching with Trump's Remain in Mexico policy forged with the Obrador government in Mexico City. They've basically done that anyway because fundamentally they don't want the situation to change when it comes to illegal crossings. And as a result of that, this just continues, he said. This should be the biggest national security emergency the United States faces. Not, in fact, Ukraine. Sarah Carter was speaking to Fox News. She said she did not expect to hear this grisly recollection of the trafficker when it came to the treatment of children, but added that the Mexican authorities previously investigated one cartel for juvenile organ trafficking back in 2014. Sarah said, I want the American people to understand what kind of monsters these people are and what they are willing to do to children and what the Biden administration is doing by perpetuating this border crisis. You can't even talk enough about this kind of travesty going on. Harvesting kids' bodies, kids that they bought. And our final thing to alert you to today, 538's Nate Silver has suggested that liberal public health elites persuaded Pfizer to change its protocols 
and in turn delay the release of the vaccine. You remember that back in 2020? Nobody could figure out when are they coming? When are they coming? Well, Nate Silver is saying that they waited, did Pfizer, to release their vaccine because they didn't want to release it before the 2020 election day because they wanted to hurt President Trump in his race for the re-election. Silver reacted to an article on Twitter and first said, Trump pushed for vaccine approvals too fast is the worst possible critique of the Trump administration's COVID policy. That probably saved a lot of lives. If anything, approval should have been faster. That tweet from Politico said that a new House report found the Trump administration pressured the FDA to authorize unproven treatments for the COVID vaccine. Also, the late 2020 push from liberal political elites that persuaded Pfizer to change its original protocols and had the convenient side effect of delaying any vaccine announcement deserves more scrutiny. I don't know for sure, but yes, the implication is that it may have been politically motivated in whole or in part. How dare anybody believe that anything was done politically to diminish Donald Trump before that election? Just saying. It happens. It happens. I'm going to stop this song. Real quickly, I want to tell you the story of this song. This is um, this is the Eagles and a song that was written by one of their founders. And this was when he found out he was dying. He was dying from a disease that he had been dealing with his, his entire life. He's got one son who's touring now, replacing his dad in the Eagles. But I want you to listen to the words to this song. And remember, this is a dying man that's singing this song and he's instructing that son what's going to happen when dad's gone and what should happen when dad's gone. Have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday. A perfect day The sun is sinking low As evening falls Gentle breezes blow The time we shared Went by so fast Just like a dream We knew it couldn't last But I'd do it all again If I could somehow I must be leaving soon It's your world now It's your world now My race is run I'm moving on Like the setting sun No sad Tears allowed You'll be all right 
just one more dance While there's still time My one last wish Someday you'll see How hard I tried And how much you meant to me It's your world now Well, your time be part of something good, leave something good behind. The curtain falls. I take my bow. That's how it's meant to be. 